Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It is Thursday, January 26th, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm joined today by Zman Yisrael, Editor-in-Chief Bjarni Goren, and Military Correspondent Emmanuel Fabian. Hello, good morning to you both. Hi, Jessica. Hi, good morning. Hi there. We're going to speak today about what these first 30 days of the new government have felt like for Israelis, some recent clashes in the West Bank and East Jerusalem, as well as Hamas recruiting attempts in the West Bank, and a robot that helps wildlife cross the road. Before we jump into all of that, let's take a quick break. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachuk Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. Okay, Bira, talk to us. It has been 30 days of this new government, and every day brings changes, sometimes several, over the course of each day. What do you think that feels like down in the street for real Israelis going through the ups and downs of this new situation? Well, first of all, I want to put this in perspective. I'm an Israeli born. I'm 55 years old with the exception of the Six-Day War, which I was born right after. I've been here in every single war. I've been around for every event, good and bad, that happened. Every rolling story, every scandal. I do not remember a month like the one we just had. I mean, we're we're calling it Black January. Irrespective, by the way, of, of what you feel about what's happening in Israel, it's just the sheer volume of it. It's a blitzkrieg. I live in Tel Aviv, in, a, in, in South Tel Aviv, in a neighborhood that about 70% of its uh, residents uh, have voted for Likud and Shas, so it's not a typical Tel Aviv neighborhood. And I can tell you that the conversations going down the elevator or picking up the mail or going with the dogs for a walk and meeting people from around is all about, did you hear that? Or are they really doing this? Or is it really going to be like that? I mean, it's taken over our entire uh, uh, existence here to a point where people joke about it or make jokes about it. You know, Papaya Global uh, this morning announced that it's going to withdraw all its money from Israel and put it in banks overseas because it fears the instability of the Israeli economy um, vis-a-vis the the changes that the government is proposing to the judicial system. So I went down with my dog in the morning and a neighbor of mine who was still in her pajamas, who knows that I'm a journalist, was standing next to me and we were both like, you know, humming and whatever. And she goes, so do you think I should move my money from the bank too or something like this? So it, it really does filter 
there's a certain feel feeling of everything is happening. I think more than anything, it's the sheer volume of it. I think the fact that every day for the last 30 days, we had headlines about things being proposed, done, or threatened to be done. Obviously, the judicial system is, is the big one, but it's not just that. They just announced no more funding for culture events happening on Saturdays, on the Shabbat. So suddenly, things that people used to do, they used to go listen to lectures or see a show or something in, in the local uh, government-sponsored uh, community center. So things that people used to do in the local community center, now they're like, oh, wow, that doesn't exist anymore. Even things like the protests on the street, you know, streets are being closed. You feel like you're you're in a war and you don't know who the enemy is, if you will. Can I ask you a question, Vera, going back to what you said at the beginning, saying that you've really lived through every conflict and every war, pretty much, or many of the wars that Israel has has experienced and has been involved in. And you're saying, this is interesting to me, that you feel this, in a sense, has been more nail-biting, more tense than some of the very tense times that have gone on, with rockets falling, with uh, troops gathering at a front. I'll tell you why. I don't think in my lifetime, in those 55 years, maybe people who are far older, who've been around in 1948, feel differently. But in my lifetime, there has never been any conflict that you felt that is genuinely threatening your day of life and and the very existence of Israel as you know it. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I don't want to be doom and gloom. I'm not saying, you know, but I'm saying there is a, a certain cloud and, and more than anything, a, a sense of um, twilight zone, if you will, of, or of being in limbo and not knowing how this is going to end, that more than anything is very different than any other situation we've ever, we've ever had. You worry you, you, when there's war and rockets falling, you worry and you wonder, you know, how many people are going to lose their lives and how long is this going to take? But you do have a sense that it's going to end, whether it's a week or a month. And, and after that, you know that your way of life is going to go back. Even even the coronavirus, even the pandemic, you know, that was a, a very long period of, of not knowing what's going to happen. And the fear that your life is not going to be the same, you know, afterwards. So in a way, we're feeling right now in like we felt at the beginning of the coronavirus, but this is all crammed up into a very, very intense uh, month that isn't, you know, again, we don't know how it's going to end. And there is a certain fear that once it, it ends, life is not going to be the same as we know it. Bira, thank you. Interesting stuff. Manny, we're going to turn to you and some headlines of the moment. There have been a number of clashes in the West Bank and East Jerusalem around Shuafat uh, all over the last couple of days. What can you tell us what's been happening? So this morning, uh, Israeli troops entered the uh, Janin refugee camp in the northern West Bank. And the clashes are ongoing. They've been ongoing for several hours uh, as we're speaking. Uh, and according to Palestinian health officials, at least four Palestinians have been killed, several more seriously wounded. Um, initial reports suggest that uh, uh, Israeli troops surrounded a home, attempted to arrest people, and uh, a, a gun battle ensued at the area. Uh, there are not many additional details right now, so we'll follow up on that. Um, but as of clashes yesterday, so uh, Israeli police forces entered the Shuafat refugee camp in East Jerusalem 
uh, to demolish the home of uh, Uday Tamimi, a Palestinian gunman who killed an Israeli soldier at a checkpoint near Jerusalem, uh, Noah Lazar, uh, last year. And during these clashes, uh, Palestinians held explosives at troops and stones and Molotov cocktails. But at one point, uh, one Palestinian teenager uh, in the crowd aimed what, what appeared to be a gun uh, at the troops and was uh, pointing it at the soldiers, uh, at, at the police officers. They uh, fired back at him. Uh, and it turned out that this gun was actually a fake. It was not a real gun. Uh, but this this Palestinian teenager was killed and police published footage showing that he was uh, aiming what it did look to be a, a real gun uh, at the soldiers, at the police officers. And then later in the evening, uh, in other areas of East Jerusalem, Palestinians clashed with, with police. Uh, another two were wounded after they were shot by a police officer uh, who felt his life was in danger, according to police. They launched uh, fireworks directly at him and threw Molotov cocktails at him. Um, and then all of this is just... Uh, part of these massive tensions that have been soaring in the West Bank in recent months. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast, uh, but almost every day we're, we're seeing clashes in, in the West Bank and in East Jerusalem, and uh, it's really been going on for oh, more than a year now, I would say. We're, I'm sure you'll keep on updating that throughout the day, and we're going to follow up on some other aspects of what's happening in the West Bank after the break. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. Now, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be privileged to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. Okay, so Manny, you also have a piece up on the site right now, a report from the Shin Bet, saying that in recent weeks, dozens of West Bank Palestinians have been arrested and questioned over their alleged ties with Hamas operatives in Gaza. So what is unfolding about that story? Could you break it down for us a little bit? Sure. So the Shin Bet published this uh, lengthy statement about these recent arrests and, and questioning Palestinians. But what was basically happening was uh, Hamas operatives in the Gaza Strip were masquerading as these business entities uh, or as business people and contacting Palestinians in the West Bank um, and offering them work. And they would um, basically dupe them into working for Hamas uh, in transferring funds and uh, transferring weapons and ammunition to terror operatives in the West Bank. So the Shimbet detailed a few of these cases, and in the Shimbet says that in most of them, Palestinians involved were, were completely unaware that Hamas was using them, basically. So in, in one case, um, 
a Palestinian from from the West Bank was contacted by Hamas, pretending to be um, some sort of company doing like a ship, shipment and courier work. Uh, he was tasked with first transferring thousands of dollars between different areas in the West Bank. So he would go to one area and pick up money and then transfer it to another area. And the Shimbet says that also the, the money that was given to the first person they were also unaware that their, the money that they were given was also being transferred eventually to terror operatives. And then later on, he was instructed to transfer packages, and these packages included guns. Uh, and I don't think he was aware that the, the box he was moving around had guns in them uh, in some of the cases. Uh, and these guns eventually were used as well for shooting attacks in the West Bank against uh, Israeli troops and against Israeli civilians. So... In response to these attempts by Hamas, um, the Shimbet said it was led by uh, Farah Hamad. Uh, he's a uh, Palestinian who was deported to Gaza in the Shalit deal in 2011. The uh, Shimbet uh, recommended that is the Israeli security establishment uh, revoke the entry permits from all the relatives of the Hamas members involved in the recruitment plans. Uh, so 230 work permits were revoked uh, as a result of the of this attempt. Would you say that this is part of what we're seeing brewing and building in terms of the West Bank, in terms of activity in the West Bank right now? Definitely. Um, we're seeing, obviously, Every, almost every day, every night, there's uh, shootings uh, against Israeli settlements and Israeli cars and soldiers in the West Bank. Um, and the big question is, where are these guns coming from? So it, it appears in a lot of these cases, the, the, the funds being used to buy the guns and the guns themselves are being moved around in a very secretive manner by Hamas in a way where even the people involved in transferring them are sometimes completely unaware. Um, but uh, the, the Bet said that several of them have been charged, some who are slightly more uh, aware of what they were doing, um, and, and they've been charged with all sorts of weapon offenses. Okay, thanks for that update, Manny. And Bira, on a lighter note, uh, tell us about a new AI-powered robot that helps wildlife cross the roads in Israel. Israel has um, an interesting situation, which is actually probably true for the entire world, where you have wildlife crossing streets uh, in order to, to look for food or, or water or change their habitats. And especially when there's a dry winter, for example, and there and there's not enough leafage where they where they are, they'll look for they'll they'll try to cross to look for other places. And what happens is is that you know they get hit by cars you're driving um, on the highway and suddenly, you know, a wild boar or a deer jumps over. There's not much you can do. It's very dangerous for uh, human beings as well. We had 19 ibex killed that way in the last six months in the vicinity of the Dead Sea. And, I, and interestingly enough, it happens not so much on highways because on highways you've got a lot of traffic all the time, so they're not even trying to cross it. Um, it happens on roads that are smaller, so there isn't that much traffic, so they think they can cross it. They, they think it's safe, and, and drivers drive there quite fast, so it's inevitable. So uh, an Israeli startup called Zoronet invented uh, uh, an AI-powered scarecrow, as it's called. We call it Zoro, and um, it works with sensors that are placed around the sides uh, of, of the road, and it has almost an infinite amount of possibilities that it learns how to scare away um, and how to help 
those wildlife cross the street when necessary. So it knows, for example, if, if an ibex comes to cross the street, because of the sensors, it knows if there's a car that's going to come anywhere near. If not, it's not going to do anything. It's going to let it cross. But if there is danger coming its way, it will use various ways to scare the ibex away. And what I, I liked the most about it was that it actually learns their habits and what works. So, for example, they found out that for wild boar, if you if you toot a siren or a horn, it actually, they panic and run even faster towards where you don't want them to. But throwing confetti around them just makes them freeze in place. They don't know what it is, so they just don't do anything. And then they just back off. Ibex is a very clever uh, animal that actually, once you use a certain horn on it once or twice, it gets used to it. So they have to keep changing the, the, the types of horns and sounds so that they don't get used to it. Bira, are these robots placed on roads where these animals are found more frequently? In other words, where does the robot come into play? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, look, it's, they don't put it just everywhere. Right now, they had a very successful pilot up north near Haifa, where there are a lot of wild boars. And also, they've put it in certain strategic areas near the Dead Sea on Road 90, which is a very long road that goes through the Negev. They, they obviously do it in places that are prone to such accidents um, in, the, in the hope of helping those animals survive and, you know, and, and continue to, to roam around. You want them to do it, but at the same time, save lives, both of the animals and uh, humans. Thank you, Bira. Like that. It's good to have some good news at the end of the podcast. So thank you for being on today's Daily Briefing. And thank you, Manny, as well, for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, We'll be back on Sunday with another daily briefing. And in the meantime, have yourselves a good listen, a good day, and a Shabbat Shalom. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.